welcome to the I Spy with My MyOI podcast. I am your host, Brittany Sierra. I am a certified oral facial myologist, registered dental hygienist, and lifelong learner. My goal with this podcast is to expand your knowledge of oral facial myofunctional disorders and to bring you up to date in current literature so that together we can get to the root of the problem. You ask, we'll answer by collaborating with true pioneers and specialties associated with the myo world. Join me on this journey as we dive into the life-altering world of tethered oral tissues and airway space. Let's do this thing. Quick disclaimer, all content expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the speakers and is for informational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Because every person is so unique, you should always consult with your specialized healthcare professional. Dr. Jeff Harrison is the National Clinical Director of Sleep Group Solutions. Sleep Group Solutions is the only company today offering a comprehensive solution for dental offices wanting to implement a turnkey dental sleep medicine department. Dr. Harrison graduated from the University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Dentistry, completed a general practice residency at St. John's Mercy Medical Center in his hometown of St. Louis, Missouri, and has achieved mastership certification in laser-assisted dentistry from the World Clinical Laser Institute. Dr. Harrison serves the dental profession as a key opinion leader, educator, professional speaker, consultant, and clinician. He is the founder of Colorado Laser Dentistry and Sleeping Giant Sleep Solutions. Early in his career, Dr. Harrison began recognizing that his patients were displaying signs and symptoms unexplained by what he was taught in dental school and residency. This challenge led him to seek out continuing education programs while attempting to uncover the root cause of what was affecting so many of his patients. This journey has landed him in the exciting, growing, and ever-evolving field of dental sleep medicine. Dr. Harrison believes the time is now for dentistry to progress beyond just fixing teeth and gums and become a real player on a healthcare team, which will improve and prolong the lives of our patients. Good morning, Dr. Harrison. I'm so excited to have you on here. It was a pleasure to be able to meet you in person. Gosh, was that last? Yeah, last month, beginning of April, um, down in Florida at Sleep Group Solutions. So welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on here to hear all about um, the EchoVision system, everything that it can do for our patients, for our practices, uh, practice growth, and things like that. So let's just start off if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what kind of got you shifted into airway dentistry. Well, I I think I came at this a little backwards compared to normal people. So uh, I've been a dentist for almost 30 years now, and I was fortunate to go to a hospital residency out of dental school. I really was wanting to be on the path to oral surgery. Um, You know, I wanted to fix faces and do jaw surgeries. And so, you know, my original thought process is, you know, there's so many crowded teeth let's just do orthodontics and uncrowd them. But like for some people, the jaws were in the wrong place. So let's just cut them apart and put them together differently. And so I got to go do that. And about halfway through that year, I realized that, you know, all I knew for my first 23 years of life was school. And I thought I need to go make some money. (laughs) So I I went to um, a dentist in my hometown and I got a job there for about three months and three months into it, I knew it was not the right fit. 
And so I think the day I went in about six months from the day I started, uh, I was going to quit. He was ready to fire me. So it all just kind of, it worked out, but that's, that landed me in Colorado. And when I moved to Colorado, um, first I saw there was an ad and a guy who says, um, looking for a dentist. So I called him up and said, before I drive out there, I just want you to know, you know, I'm coming out of one bad associateship. I want to not repeat the same mistake twice. Um, so I just got to tell you off the bat, like I'm left-handed. He says, wow, I'm left-handed too. And he goes, I've got to tell you something. I'm a pediatric dentist. And I'm like, whoa. And he goes, but I own a family. I practice and I only want to see the kids. And I said, well, this is great. And so I went out there. We worked together great for three years and, and I started to learn functional orthodontics. So this is like in the mid nineties. And we didn't know we were like being airway dentist, but we started to see all the things that, you know, now that I know what I know, uh, I've kind of put the pieces together backwards. Um, <laughs> and, you know, all the, the kids that we were uncrowding teeth were just starting to sleep better and behave better and, and do better in school and not have the, the common problems that all the listeners on this podcast are probably aware of. Right. And so that went on for several years. And then I came across some goals that I'd written down on first day of residency and all of them were checked off except own my own practice. So I, I approached him and I said, you know, would you like to sell half the practice? And we met with this consultant and he, he said, basically, you know, he's been a missionary overseas for like 30 years. So he had no retirement because you can't, give up any profitability. Um, so he's like, well, I've been looking at a second location. And at this time, I think he was in his early sixties. He's like, I don't have the energy. You're young, you're vibrant. Um, go, go here, build this office. Uh, when you're on your feet, then just go up there and, and take off. And so I did actually hang a shingle, you know, back in the days, I don't know if you could still do it today, but uh, we were getting so many new patients right out of the gate and technology was my niche. So I was one of the earliest people um, to have lasers in practice. I was one of the earliest people mm -hmm. to have cone beam, uh, digital x-ray, digital charting. And so that was, that was my niche, right? It's going to be um, experience tomorrow's dentistry today. Mm -hmm. In that process, then uh, the lasers led to tethered oral tissue releases, um, you know, it's really sad, uh, Brittany, that Maya wasn't a bigger part of my career. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, talking with Kevin uh, Boyd, he had a very similar path too. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, and Ben, uh -huh. it's, you know, it, it's hindsight's always 2020. Um, I, I knew of it. I just didn't know where to find anybody. Right. And I think that's still a, a challenge that a lot of dentists uh, perceive that it exists. And it's podcasts like this and Airway Health Solutions uh, meetings that, we're really growing. Mm -hmm. um, fast forward a little bit to speed up the story here. Um, I realized early on that surgery wasn't always the fix. Um, and I think that ties into the Maya, you know, philosophy is Absolutely. you've got to train these muscles before you do the procedure. Mm -hmm. And then you have to exercise the muscles after the procedure, or you're setting yourself up for anything, really, I wouldn't necessarily say failure, because I had a lot of successes. Um, but predictability. Uh, originally, I'm from Missouri. So that's the show me state. So usually before I do anything, um, you've got to show me. And that's what we're going to do this morning on this podcast. I know you've got uh, an audio version of it, too. So I'll do my best uh, radio broadcast announcer uh, to explain what we're viewing, uh, that the others can come back and see later on. Uh, so, you know, hung the shingle, 
got out of the associateship that was working really well quickly, like under six months. Uh, I was getting okay. 100, 150 new patients a month, maybe more, wow. uh, but never less than 100. And so six months into it, I had 600 patients. I was working with uh, practice consultants and they said, you know, the average practice, you know, it's 1,200 patients that step foot in the office every 12 months, uh, at least once per doctor. And then you need two hygienists for every, you know, one hygienist for every 600. Then you mm-hmm. need two assistants so you can bounce between chairs. And I never really liked bouncing between chairs. I was more of a, you know, one at a time and just do a bunch of dentistry versus mm-hmm. turn and burn and run from room to room. When I had days like that, I was so tired when I came home. I was just like, I, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I became one of the earliest masters in laser dentistry. And so that led me to being a a speaking career and an an educator career for a laser company out of California. Uh, Run a group on Facebook of, I think we're up to like 26, maybe 2,800 members in that on laser dentistry, uh, 125 countries. So I had this big reach. Uh, I was practicing three, four days a week, and I was lecturing two days a week. And then I would travel on the off days. And so I did that for a long, long time. And really in 2015, just started to burn out. It's like something's got to give either, you know, I got to give up speaking and teaching, which I love. Um, I like to influence people to do better. Uh, I think, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And we can always, we should always be learning. Um, had the chance to study under Spear and Gordon Christensen and like all the, all the gurus. So you start to feel old when all of your mentors are, <laughs> are no longer around or, you know, they're, they've passed the baton to other people, but it's exciting yeah. because really, um, I guess being kind of airway centered in the beginning uh, was a lot of arrows in the back. Honestly, mm-hmm. uh, it was different, but I knew it was the right thing. So I just stuck with it. In 2017, I just kind of gave up. And I'm like, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And there's just not enough people that are following. And I just wanted to see my kids grow up, honestly. So I retired, (laughs) Uh, sold the practice, sold the house, uh, moved up into the mountains and hid out for a few years. Uh, But then Sleep Group Solutions found me. Uh, I was in Florida for a sleep conference. And they said, would you like to come be the Western regional director? So I was managing 10 Western states of the U.S. So since I live in Colorado, basically just go straight west out to Hawaii, up to Alaska, circle your way back. Uh, But with the laser background, I had so much, so many friends, you know, in different areas of the of the country that we were able to put Sleep Group Solutions program uh, into those practices. And so July 1st of 2021, I became the national director. So now I get to travel every week, pretty much uh, all across the U.S. and help dental offices that want to get started in dental sleep medicine, get started on the right foot. Like, don't reinvent the wheel. You know, we, it's a turnkey program. It's a, it's a solid technology and it's getting picked up by, you know, people that you know, um, Certainly the orthodontic orthopedic solution is, is, in my opinion, you know, addresses the root cause and you really want to go that route when you can. Unfortunately, not all of our patients make the best decisions. And so oral appliances are are still a thing that we need to to learn about, uh, but we want to mitigate side effects. And I think that's really what the echo vision technology showcases is 
maybe, and, and research is showing that as little as, you know, less than one millimeter of jaw in the wrong position will have a huge impact on airway for some people. Now, other people have this big zone of adaptability. Um, you could put anything in there and that's why dentists that just make a device or have the lab pick uh, the bite position, right. which just applauds me. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it, it works sometimes. And so there's some confusion out there. And, and I think that's what I want to get out of this podcast is put a little bit of clarity into what this information means and what do we do with it? So I know that was a long intro, but there you go. No, thank you. I, I love hearing your journey. That's, that's uh, an incredible journey. One of the things that I was reading um, when I was looking through the Echo Vision um, brochure and the website and, and, and things like that, um, was how it can even help sleep dentists rule out patients who maybe aren't really, you know, uh, the oral appliance isn't going to work for. Um, and I think that's great because I think sometimes some providers could get just a little happy and want to make an appliance for everybody. And really it's not a one size fits all thing. So to be able to have this, you know, diagnostic tool that can help kind of weave that out is great. Right. And then also to be able just to get that report and know exactly what's going on. So, um, everybody obviously would have heard your bio at this point and hear, hear you talking, but if you want to give everybody a, a background on just the echo vision, what it is, um, I don't know how long, like how familiar you were with it prior to being with sleep group solutions. Were you always using a rhinometer or like, how did that work? No, no. So I, I always come at things backwards. It seems like, right. <laughs> So uh, one of my favorite lessons was Frank Spear. And I think he talked two or three days on all of his mistakes or, you know, some, his major it's mistakes. Important. We totally learn from our mistakes. That is for sure. <laughs> and it's better when you learn from someone else's mistakes. <laughs> <Touché>. <laughs> so uh, a brief history of EchoVision. It's, it's been around, uh, well, let's back up even more. Uh, it started with rhinometry which is really, I think, the bulk of your interest. Mm -hmm. When I was in Florida last month with you, uh, that group was all about rhinometry and it stemmed from an orthodontist friend of mine, client up in Northern Idaho, uh, Brett Christensen. And that's really kind of, I think, how we, our paths crossed, mm -hmm. right? But the rhinometer was used in otolaryngology. So as ENT, it was medical technology and it was a measuring tool, you know, to, to assess uh, size, and distance within nasal airway. In the 90s, there was a dentist in the Northeast who said, well, why don't we make one that goes for the oral pharynx? Because a lot of people do mouth breathe. And we know that sleep-related breathing disorders is a problem of collapsibility. But if there was a way to test different jaw positions. We call them titrations, although I don't like that word because it's really associated with CPAP. Uh, but test different jaw positions to find if there's one that's more favorable than another. And if we can change the vertical, what impact will it have on this patient? Because would you be more comfortable with your jaw just slightly more open or open at one level, but then shift your jaw way out like a bulldog? Right. And that information, and I agree with your statement, knowing who you can or cannot help is probably one of the first and most vital uses of the technology. Mm -hmm. But a lot of dentists 
they, they don't use it enough. Uh, you know, this is something every appointment you really could assess the patient because it takes seconds. It's, it's quick. It's right. painless. There's no radiation. Uh, it's just sonar technology. So it's sending um, uh, sound into whatever it's trying to measure and it's listening for it to come back. So that's where we put the name EchoVision on it. Mm-hmm. So it started as the rhinometer. Then a dentist added the pharyngometer to it. And in 2005, Sleep Group Solutions bought the patents to it. And we rebranded it as EchoVision. Now, I will tell you, I didn't use it in my practice. Uh, I did it the hard way. Uh, I wasted a lot of chair time. Um, I really cut into my profitability. Mm-hmm. I treated people that I had really had no business uh, of trying to help because they weren't a candidate. They had a concentric collapse. And um, when I saw it presented, I actually stumbled upon uh, our chief strategy officer now, John Nato. He was given a lecture in a room in Huntington Beach, California, right before me. And as a professional speaker, one of the tricks that, that we learn is sit in the room before you're on stage. So, you know, who's in the room, who stays, who's nice, who's friendly, uh, who do you not want to make eye contact with because they'll throw you off of your talk track? Um, is there a problem with the sound? You know, is there a problem with uh, the screen or the, the lighting in the room? And, and correct it before you're on stage. So it makes mm-hmm. you uh, more presentable and, and really puts on a better show, right? And so he had this echo vision of the time, it was 2015, uh, on display. And I looked at it, I'm like, it looks like something I would have built from Radio Shack parts, you know, (laughs) when I was in middle school. And I'm like, there's no way I'm putting that in my technology driven practice. You know, I've got lasers and cone Mm -hmm. beams and CAD cam and like everything, all the toys. I had all the toys, anything. And this was Gordon Christensen, anything that makes um, my job easier, the patient's experience better, uh, has a return on investment. Yeah. I'll invest in that all day long. I could care less what it costs uh, mm-hmm. because I know I'll get my investment back. Mm-hmm. Uh, the caveat there is you have to use it. You know, too often I see people buy it and they don't really have a plan of action. Um, and that's where I come in as the national director is you mm-hmm. know, follow up, making sure they're implementing it, mm-hmm. um, making sure that they're satisfied with what they're seeing and understanding it. Uh, I was just on the phone um, yesterday and last week with some doctors that they're new to it. And so they're learning it and getting repeatability. That's probably the biggest challenge that I see with new users. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, you know, you'll get a different measurement if the patient changes position, just like the x-ray will look different if they shift. Mm -hmm. So learning how to have the conversation with the uh, patient to direct them through the procedure. Now you got to see a really special uh, demonstration in Florida with uh, a young man Mm-hmm. who uh, I think it was like four, maybe three yeah. years old. So cute. And I remember it was, uh, so I was in Ben's practice in January. We did his install in January. And then I was in Kevin's in, in February. And when I did Ben's, we just worked on Ben and I think his assistant, but mm-hmm. like he, he was all over it. And following up with him last month, he said, I'm using it every day. I love it. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was in Kevin's practice in February, we saw several little young patients mm-hmm. and, you know, that was his concern is can it, can a child follow the instructions enough to where you're going to see what you need to see? And really with rhinometry, it's easy because it's yeah. like, pause your breathing. Right. And five seconds later, you've got a measurement. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pharyngometer is a little bit more difficult for a child to do. Uh, number one, the mouthpiece is built for an adult. Mm-hmm. So you know, we're considering 
making a smaller one if we're going to use it in the children. But even that little guy at four, he put it in his mouth. Like yeah. he, he used one that I was going to use on myself. <laughs> so I had to dig out another one. That was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but it's the, we take a baseline measurement to see, you know, what the airway normal size is when there's airflow. And then we do a collapse test where we uh, simulate what the absence of breath would be like, or really more of uh, almost absence of breath. So mm-hmm. in medical, that's called hypopnea. So we mm-hmm. have them blow off one single breath and then indicate usually with their pinky finger when they're just about to get rid of all the air. And then we'll see the collapse happen. Um, from there, it's just testing different positions with that same collapse test to find out, is there a job position that helps them? Uh, so I always say, think about CPR. You know, what do you do to open the airway in CPR? It's tilt the head, lift the chin. And that's exactly what we're doing in oral appliance if we're going to use it that way. Right. Now in orthodontics, what we're doing is the rhinometry because as we do uh, transverse expansion and we get anterior, posterior uh, growth and development, you know, we, uh, well, number one, you got to get established nasal breathing and you have to have lip patency. But what we're seeing is as they turn those screws, we're getting the expansion, but we need an easy radiation-free way of quantifying that what we're expecting to happen is actually happening. And, you know, sometimes if we, in in your world, if we just started with the, um, the myo and the nasal breathing and the lips together and the tongue position, uh, that alone can sometimes get improvement uh, Mm -hmm. and reduction in turbulence size. Uh, we can see on the echovision whether it's a seasonal allergy that we're dealing with, you know, just a kind of an acute rhinitis that's happening, uh, or whether it's a chronic condition. Maybe there's a polyp, maybe there's uh, a deviated septum. Uh, but the question then becomes do we need to address it? Right. I just think it's so cool how quick it is. Yeah. I mean, to be able to know all of that in such a short period of time and it, and it, it's easy to explain. I mean, you did it with a four-year-old, you know? So the fact that you can do it with anybody really at any age, um, I think is pretty incredible. And, and I also think I would add to that, that it's great that an assistant or a hygienist can do it. You know, it's, it's not something that's regulated. Uh, right. you know, it's just a measurement. So. And I know you're going to be sharing your screen. We're going to get a live demo from Dr. Harrison here. Um, For those of you that might be listening on the uh, podcast platform, you can head over to our um, YouTube page, CT Oral Facial Myology, and we'll make sure that we post this episode on the YouTube page so you can actually see everything in action. And I can see your screen, Dr. Harrison, so you are good to go. Excellent. So uh, we had opened this just a little bit earlier, so I just went into... Um, a demonstration mode, basically. And on the screen, we've got uh, a graph and on the bottom is the distance that we're measuring. So the first blue line, if we look down at the distance, it says zero centimeters. So that's going to be where the tip of the instrument touches my nostril. Uh, Between the two blue lines, so if we look off to the right side, there's a secondary blue line at six centimeters. That's the average distance of an adult's nasal airway. Uh, Within those two blue lines are three uh, patterns of lines. I I usually call them diamonds, uh, but they're markers. They're anatomic landmarks. And the first one is the nasal valve. And if your audience is aware that nasal valve collapse can be an issue uh, and we need to use nasal dilators or some 
uh, form of support for that part of the airway. The second one is going to be the anterior limit on average of the inferior turbinate. And the last one is the posterior limit. So we're, we're measuring the distance from the tip of the nose back to where the nasal and oral pharynx come together. So I've got the nose tip on here. There is a right and a left side, but it's probably too hard to see. I don't even know if they can see me on the screen or if it's just my screen. So uh, what I'll do is I'll pause my breathing. I'll start the instrument. And then in like five seconds, we'll have a line that shows up on the screen that measures my airway. So this is my left nostril. There we go. I can advance the graph now and take the right side. So same thing, just pause my breathing when this tip touches my nose. There we go. Now, if I had been breathing, the line would have gone up and down because the other axis on the left is the size of the airway. So if they're breathing, our, our airway is flexible, it's elastic. And, and so if air is moving, it'll get bigger or smaller. Think of like a little uh, circus animal balloon that a clown would blow up and turn into a mm -hmm. poodle or something. You know, <laughs> if you blow air into that, it gets bigger. And if you let go of the end, the air comes back out and then it gets mm -hmm. smaller. So that's, that's the best analogy that I've heard of. Now, if we compare the left and the right, um, we can see that they crisscross right after nasal valve and right at the anterior uh, limit of the inferior terminus. So that's a deviated septum. So if the right side gets bigger, the left side's got to get smaller and vice versa. So that's a, an easy way to find information on what you could probably supplement looking at your cone beam volume of data later on. So I would know at approximately two centimeters, you know, look for a deviated septum. I would know, you know, look at three and a half, four centimeters that it probably comes back and just verify it. Uh, a lot of studies have been done that quantitate and validate the technologies against each other. You know, do we see the same thing in cone beam that we see in rhinometry? And that, that to me is interesting, but you know, how quick was that? It was, Super yeah. I mean, I couldn't set a patient up in a cone beam machine and take a scan in, in that amount of time. Like it would right. take five minutes probably. So um, the shapes of the anatomic landmarks, those are measurements that were done by a sleep physician uh, named Dr. Atul Maholtra. And he was at Harvard when he did these uh, measurements. So not too far away from where you're at up there. And these were statistical averages of an adult population. As we move to the younger patient, uh, what was interesting also last month in Florida is even mm -hmm. though that kid was four years old, is he, he hit the markers, which I wasn't expecting. Uh, I hadn't used this a whole lot on children other than you know, doing some recent installs in, in pediatric driven practices. Um, but listening to Brett, you know, he's kind of gone through the orthodontic literature and came out with some numbers to be looking for. And so uh, what we're doing is, is trying to gather this data. And really, when you put the patient in and you put the age in, move the markers to be appropriate for the patient. Uh, the other thing that I've noticed uh, with working with orthotropic offices is what is normal uh, or common is maybe not ideal. Because mm -hmm. just a little bit of expansion and, you know, establishing nasal breathing, we're seeing these lines go way higher on the graph than where mm -hmm. the, the averages are. And for me, I think that's the exciting thing is right. being able to track your progress. 
Uh, being able to see as we do grow healthier jaws mm-hmm. and establish better habits that, you know, ideal could be much bigger than what normal is on this. Now, how often do you recommend, um, and we're actually going to have Dr. Christensen on, I believe next week we have, um, a podcast scheduled, but how often, yeah, I'm really excited. How often do you recommend that? So you obviously are taking it as a baseline and then how often throughout their expansion process, do you typically recommend doing it? So the couple questions I want to unpack there. So how often would I use this? I would, I think the very first place you're going to use this in every practice is a new patient experience. Mm-hmm. I think just put airway as part of your exam. Uh, and I would even put it before you start looking at teeth and gums and everything else that you're used to doing. Because if you're going to change anything, something's got to change. Mm-hmm. And if you keep doing things the way you always did it, you're going to be stuck with what you always got. Right. Um, so I would make an airway the umbrella of my treatment planning. I think it leads to more dentistry. Mm -hmm. I think it leads to longevity of the dental restorative treatment that you do. And it puts that patient in a mindset that this practice is different and it leads to more referrals, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, when we talk to orthodontic practices, they're going to do it on a new patient um, exam for Mm -hmm. orthodontics, and then they're going to do it through progress checks. So uh, if they're expanding, it's probably going to be you're seeing the patient in a month or you're going to see the patient in two months, uh, do, do it while they're actively expanding. And then once they're done expanding, probably do it at six months uh, to verify that they're still have nasal breathing happening and, the, and they're able to breathe through the nose. Uh, you're also going to pick up different seasons if you live in an area where uh, that will change. And then I would do it at a year follow-up. And I think that is also uh, Brett's protocol, but we'll find out next week, I guess, for sure. Um, In a a practice that isn't doing orthodontics, I would do the baseline on a a new patient. I would do a collapse on a new patient. And that's it. That's just, that's part of the screening. It's an airway screening. Mm -hmm. It'll take you just a, a minute or two. And if you couple that with all the known risk factors and comorbidities, you'll start to really quickly realize that when the data right now says, you know, one quarter to one third of our population in America has obstructive sleep apnea, it's probably, in my opinion, closer to 50%. Yeah. Yeah. So I I kept, I kept data from 2007 to 2017. And what I found was two thirds of my practice needed their sleep evaluated further. And of those that got tested, which was about half of them, Mm-hmm. Every one of them had a diagnosis of obstructive sleep apnea, Yep. which takes more years off your life than smoking. It's more dangerous than texting and driving. It's more dangerous than driving drunk. And if you put all three together, you know, you're pretty much guaranteed you're going to kill yourself and possibly somebody else. Yeah. But um, the other f- side of that coin as well. If you, if you've already been practicing and you haven't been doing anything with airway, how do you introduce this to your existing patient base? And a lot of dentists, I think, fall into this uh, rabbit hole of conversation in the hygiene chair. And this makes the hygienist upset because now you're 20 minutes behind, 30 minutes behind, uh, pretty soon you don't get lunch. Uh, then, then you're late, you know, getting out of the office at night, and you got to turn around and come back the next day. So nobody wants a lot of, hygienist angry at them. Oh yeah. You, you never want to upset your, your hygieniuses. That's what I called mine. 
So yeah, uh, never upset the high geniuses. But, uh, <laughs> before we move on to pharyngometer, let's uh, let's see how well uh, you learned last month. Uh, which side is left and which side is right? Which line? What color? Oh gosh, now you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> so left side is the purple one. Correct. Very good. And then the right side is the yellow one. Right. And so that um, first blue line is what marker? The anterior turbinate. The, the blue line, though. You're the zero. The at zero. That's where the tip touches oh, the nose. So, oh, okay, okay. Okay. All right. And then that first marker is going to be nasal valve. And if the average is the big line that you see in the middle of that diamond shape, mm -hmm. am I above or below average? The first line in the first diamond shape that I see. So they're up towards the upper limit of what statistic norms were considered by Atul Mahaltra. So I'm above average at nasal yep. valve. I see that. And if we move to the second marker, that was the anterior limit of your inferior turbinate. Do you see how the right side, the amber color line just drops below average there? Yep. So I'm a little bit smaller right now on that right side and a little bit bigger than average bigger on the left, on the left. Okay. And then as we get to the third marker at six centimeters, um, I'm right on average on the left and, and I'm still a little bit below average on the right. This so one we're talking about, right? Are you able to see my cursor just so everybody knows what it is we're talking about? So yeah, right okay, I can is, see yours. Perfect. This is nasal valve and this is anterior inferior terminate. And this mm -hmm. is posterior limit of the inferior terminate. Perfect. And <clears throat> there's also nasal cycling that happens. So okay. if we came back and did the same measurement on the same patient, and it was after the nasal cycling had changed from left to right, because you know, we're designed to take a little break from one side to the next. Mm -hmm. uh, it may, it may alter. And it doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. It doesn't mean that it's inaccurate. It just means that that's what the measurement was at that particular time mm -hmm. in that particular position with the patient doing whatever they were doing. So if they're breathing, those will be hard to repeat. If they're not breathing, it should be fairly stable and give you a good, accurate measurement. Um, what else can I talk about here? Um, do you have any other questions on the rhinometry? No, I think the, the rhinometry is pretty straightforward for the most part. I'm glad we're able to share this graph and everything with everybody. So they know exactly what it is. I think clinically too, is, you know, you can verify what you see on the graph with what you can hear in the treatment room. So mm -hmm. I would have them place the finger over the left side, close off that nostril have them take a breath in, then do the other side. So if they were spread apart more, where one was significantly smaller than the other, maybe like, mm -hmm. you know how when you get the stuffy nose and one side yeah. seems to plug up and the other one you can breathe through. And then like you wake up later on and it's flipped over and mm -hmm. completely different. And maybe like you slept on that side or you wake up and both sides are completely closed yep. off and you can't get anything. Uh, you'll hear the sounds. Right. Uh, also, I, I think if we have, uh, a small nasal valve, I'll, you know, have them do like my nasal valves above average, but I have a very mm -hmm. collapsible nasal valve. Like mm -hmm. I actually wear, um, a dilating dilator. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's something open. we look at nasal valve collapse during our evaluation. Another trick that we do, um, that crease and I teach in our myo classes 
having somebody grab their phone, hold their phone under their nose. So the screen is dark and breathing on it to watch what, how you fog it up. If one side's bigger than the other or so forth, if they're even whatever the case may be. I love it. I love it. That's, uh, that's a really good, useful tool right there. Um, also, I think uh, I had another thought here and now it's kind of escaped my mind, but um, it'll come back to me when, when yeah. we we'll move on, I'm sure. But rhinometry. Oh, I got it. Uh, I love it. This is getting older. Stinks, man. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think a lot of dentists are uncomfortable examining noses. You know, it's not the oral oral environment. It's not the oral mm-hmm. cavity. And a lot of dentists make oral appliances without looking at the nose. Now, I don't know if the orthodontist have it in there. You know, if they're not an airway orthodontist, they, they may not look at the nose either because they're taught right. to straighten teeth um, and they do a good job of it. But, you know, straight teeth that don't stay where they put them to me was a telltale sign. So mm-hmm. it was like, I, I could never rationally figure out with what I learned in dental school, why so many people relapse and you know, mm-hmm. why does crowding come back? Like we just spent all this time and money and energy to put them where aesthetically they look good and they fit together. Great. Uh, but if we don't hold them there, they, they don't stay there. Like I always think of the line from Jurassic park, you know, uh, the very first one. So this is probably like older movie than you are, but um, shows my age, I guess. <laughs> but if it's not right, nature finds a way. Yeah. Like, I love it. I love that line because it's exactly what happens. You know, if, if your dentistry is breaking down prematurely and, and that's what was so nice about being a young dentist is like all your work was successful because you didn't have to follow it. You know, you know, whatever you did your first year, your first patient, you know, you only had to see it for the next two years and then it was mm-hmm. done. Um, but when you get into practice and you're five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years into practice or more, uh, you start to look at dentistry differently because you're like, well, who did that? And then the patient says, well, you did doc. And you kind of got to, Oh, I, you know, must've had a bad day that day. Or, wow. What do you, what have you been doing to it? I know it didn't look that, that way when, when I did it. Um, and so there was all these like signs and symptoms that kept coming up and I, I couldn't explain them. And that's really, I think what ultimately led me into the airway path, even though uh, a lot of things in science are stumbled upon, I, I, I think I stumbled into it. Mm-hmm. And over time and, and, and making mistakes, honestly, uh, were important lessons. And that's why I get to teach now. So mm-hmm. it's like, do as I say, not as I did. <laughs> Learn from your mistakes. Exactly. Uh, so that's it for rhinometry. You know, it's a quick assessment. It gives us great uh, information. If there was a problem, the line would tank off and drop. So once the sound hits something that it can't get past, it reflects back to the microphones that are in the instrumentation. um, And we'll see that line just drop to zero because it it couldn't get past it. Uh, The other analogy that I'll use when teaching is if you think of a bat uh, that's flying in a dark cave, they can't see all the stalactites that are hanging from the ceiling or the walls of the cave, but they never hit anything. So they're doing a very similar process of sending out echoes and their brain is processing that information so they don't uh, run into stuff. All right, so let's see, let's close rhinometry. I don't wanna close the application. I gotta move my screen, there we go, wrong X. I'm not going to assign a patient. Now we'll go to pharyngometer. You'll hear a knocking sound. That's the calibration. And for those that can't see the screen, 
What uh, pharyngometry is, is basically a mouthpiece like uh, a snorkel would use. And for this test, we're gonna hold the instrument and I should probably unblur my background. So let's see, you get to see my clock and what time it is. There we go. All right, so there we go. We're gonna put this in the mouth, teeth come together, upper arch to lower arch, tongue goes underneath, that's the tongue depressor, so the sound can get past the tongue. Now that totally rocks your world, I understand, because it's far from the spot, uh, but we need to be able to get the sound past it. So uh, again, this is just for the, the measuring. Yep. I'm gonna pinch my nose so the echoes don't come out my nose, and they're gonna go, we're gonna see the same thing, distance and then size. So mm -hmm. first one's gonna be, I probably need to take this off my screen. Um, First one's going to be breathing normal, and I'm going to stop it halfway through my exhale. Perfect. Now, you can tell by the line being off the top of the graph here, my airway is ginormous. And so on a CBCT volume, if you did the pretty picture that shows the green, mm -hmm. the yellow, and the red for the airway, uh, what would you tell this patient? Your airway's big, not a problem, right? So let me change the graph paper here to where you can see it. I usually have to go up to like 15 square centimeters. Oh, wow. So there we go. Now we can see the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. uh, what is left of the blue line is the oral cavity. So there's a zero out here. That's where the tip goes into the mouth and it just mm -hmm. goes right past the front teeth. And then you'll see a rise for the palatal vault. And then it comes back down as it hits the uh, uh, junction uh, of the oral pharynx. So I had tonsils removed. This is why I don't have my constriction at oral pharyngeal junction. We call it OPJ. Mm -hmm. If you look in my mouth, I'm a malampati one. And I, I was doing... Um, I was moderating the Academy of Laser Dentistry sleep track panel, I think two weeks ago now. And the doctor that was presenting said he's never seen a Malampati one that has obstructive sleep apnea. And so I kind of had to raise my hand and say, well, if I come to your practice, I'll, I'll show you because yeah. that's me. You yep. know, I'm the patient that unless you walked in the door saying, you know, I snore would be totally missed. Mm hmm. So that's baseline airway. You know, my, my average volume is a hundred uh, cubic centimeters. My, my average when I'm breathing is 8.4 square centimeters. And, and my minimum is 5.4 square centimeters. So just to give it some norms, I always say sleep can be as easy as three, two, one. Uh, the average airway men and women is right around three square centimeters. So three, two for men, 2.8 mm -hmm. for women. Uh, when a minimum in a collapse goes below two, it's technically 1.86, but let's just round up. This was a Tua Maholtra again, his data. When, uh, when a minimum collapse goes below 1.86, I just call it two, the odds of getting a diagnosis from a sleep study are significantly high for a moderate to severe diagnosis. Now, EchoVision is not diagnostic. It's just a tool that we use that suggests, and it shows the patient why you're having this conversation with them. Because honestly, 90% of them are unaware. 
most of them came to your practice, not for airway. You know, if you're a normal dentist, if you're an airway dentist, then yeah, they're there for it. And that comes back to like, don't get into the rabbit hole of having the conversation in hygiene when the patient's not ready to talk about it or because they won't hear anything. You're just going to waste your words. Absolutely. Uh, so, so set them up to come back for an airway consultation. Uh, do what they're there to do that day and then plant the seed. You know, a lot of this is farming. It's, it's planting the seed. It's connecting the dots. It's getting the light bulb to turn on above their head to where they own their problem. So you can't sell them anything. You know, you can't give them um, a treatment plan until they've taken ownership that, Hey, this is a problem. This is why I'm tired. Uh, this is why my bed partner's sleeping down the hall. Um, this is why I'm so moody or anxious. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these patients are hidden. Like they're not the stereotypical old fat guy that, you know, the bang side of the stop bang will pick up yep. and, and really just have a three question screening while you're taking your blood pressure on the patient. You know, are you on blood pressure medications? You can pull those people out before you even seat them in the chair. Normally you've got the health history in front of you. Uh, are they over 50? Uh, do you struggle to get the bib clip around and, and get the napkin chain, you know, connected from one side to the next? That's, mm-hmm. you know, big neck. Uh, are they overweight? You know, are they spilling over the dental chairs? Dental chairs have gotten bigger over time and, and we still have people that are overspilling it. So, you know, as soon as you get to three of those common signs and symptoms, you got to start thinking, I need more information to know if there's an airway problem. Right. Uh, but in my case, baseline would show no problem. I'll go to the next step is a collapse. So same thing, it's going to uh, normal breathing. And then once I hear the tone, which happens after about 10 or 12 pings, five, seven seconds in, that's when it has an average line. And so the instruction to the patient is on your next breath, slowly, silently, and completely blow off all of that air and just raise your pinky or raise the hand that you're not pinching your nose with to, to signal me to stop the test. When you hear uh, the knocking sound stop, then resume your breathing because you want them when you take this out of their mouth to kind of have that gasp. You know, I, I know we don't like to have the gas, but that's what the test should be doing because that's what's happening when they're not in control of, of their breathing pattern, when they're asleep. And so here is my collapse test. And um, I think you'll see it really evidently. always makes me cough. (laughs) And that's kind of what you want. If your patient doesn't struggle, like afterwards, they're protecting their airway, which is what people that have compromised airways do. So think of the patient that, you know, you just know when you see them on the schedule that you're going to need extra time because they stop you every five minutes. They've got to hold the suction, the whole appointment. Uh, You put the x-ray sensor in the mouth and they kick it out of the place. The tongue's in the way, no matter where you're working in the mouth. Mm -hmm. Uh, They just really don't want you in in their oral environment because it's it's a threatening feeling if you're lying back in the chair and and you've got some person that's you know trying to do work on you um, they they struggle there so if I go back to baseline and I superimpose the collapse do you see the separation between the lines the red one is way down at the bottom yeah the green one's way up at the top and like, how would we get that information in a cone beam? You'd have to have them blow off that whole breath and then start the machine and run it around their head for however many seconds it takes to take a scan. And you just can't, you can't be right. that much out of breath 
for the duration of the cone beam scan. Mm -hmm. Now there's other ways to use radiographs to assess airway. There's cephalometric norms and angles and distances between different markers. And those are all great methods and, and ways to do it. But again, it requires radiation. It requires taking the image. And then how often are you going to do that? This is simple. You know, this is something that, you know, if the patient was unaware that they had an airway problem, he's like, well, look, when you're breathing, that's the green line. Look how big that is. Right. And then the red line was like when you were almost out of air. You weren't even out of air yet, but you were almost out of air. And your airway went down to 1.7 square centimeters. And what did I just say five minutes ago? Below 1.86. Below 1.8, yeah. yeah. Below 1.86, your diagnosis is going to be moderate or severe. And so mm -hmm. this led me to doing a sleep study uh, at home. And it showed that I have moderate sleep apnea. So I had an AHI, I think, of 18 uh, the first time I did it. Now, I was 72 pounds heavier then, and I need to retest myself that I've lost the weight because, you know, my, my girlfriend says, you don't snore no more. Like, it doesn't matter if you're on your back, your side, you, just, you don't move. Like, you don't even wake up. And that was, what, that was what led me to thinking I might have a problem is you know, I get close to 50 and all of a sudden it's five or six times uh, to get mm -hmm. up and use the restroom during sleep. And, you know, I wear an aura ring, I wear a garment. So I've got all the, all the, you know, techie devices. I just, I'm just the super nerd when it comes to airway and dentistry. <laughs> Aren't we all? But, and, you know, they're not on the level of an actual sleep apnea test, but I think it's a good coachable device. I think it gives us good information to know, uh, what are our habits that are influencing our, our, our sleep? Uh, do we have a routine bedtime? Are we going to bed at the same time getting up? Uh, do we have caffeine too late in the day? You know, maybe we shouldn't have had that uh, extra drink that we, that we put on uh, or the late meal or exercise in the evening. You know, all, the, all the things that we think right. of. Um, dark room, uh, heavy blanket. You know, there's some debate on blue light and screen time going on. Uh, these are all things that that we're aware of. To, to me, it's fascinating. You know, I just think it's yeah. Awesome. I just think it's such an easy tool to begin implementing to have something to be able to back what it is that you're saying to the patient, especially for the patients where they're hearing for the first time. You know that something they have some kind of airway issue going on, and you know to be able, like you said, to incorporate it via the hygienist, the assistant, or if it is the doctor, whoever it might be it's good to have that supporting tool to just be able to reiterate everything. Yeah. And if we've got another minute or two, what I'd like to do is show you how jaw repositioning can make or break a case. So you had brought it up earlier. You know, we want to use this to know who we can't help. And so if I go through different vertical dimensions and they all look the same and none of them improve. So here's the one in the three, two, one. So average airway is about three collapse below two is a problem, but Wherever their minimum was, if I can improve it by one square centimeter with just jaw repositioning, uh, the success level of those cases, in my experience, is 90%. Wow. If I can't get one square centimeter improvement over where they were, uh, it's a more difficult case. It's going to take more work and probably, you know, in my practice, would lead to a higher fee. So not every case gets treated the same. You know, some, some people, it's a slam dunk boom, that's your position. Are you going to wear it? Okay, let's go. And then you deliver it and you're done. Uh, that, that's easy. Like you don't need to charge a fortune for that. Right. But some of them you look at, it's like, I don't even know if this is going to work for you, but mm -hmm. they're begging you. They're begging you. 
uh, like, I just can't do that mask. I'm not going to do it. And like, I, I want to live to, you know, be able to play with my kids and my grandkids. And, uh, you know, my parents died young. I don't want to die young. You know, that, those are the conversations that take place in a sleep practice. And until you're, you know, got that patient asking for the benefits, uh, whatever solution you're going to offer them is going to fall on deaf ears because well, they just, they don't think they need it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I want to do two measurements. I'm going to do two more collapses in different positions. The first one I'm going to do is kind of what like uh, a standard George gauge measurement would do. So it's just a six millimeter vertical. Uh, this is a little jig called airway metrics. I'm going to set it on my front teeth to hold me open six millimeters in between my front teeth. Okay. It gave me a star there because that was um, the best one we've done so far, which was the only, the only one. Now I'm going to go to eight. Okay. And this is still end to end. Goodness. <laughs> oh, well, the minimum went up to 4.3. Yeah. So that's how much one or two centimeters can or millimeters can make an airway. So wow. no protrusion end to end in the anterior, six versus eight. So let's look at it. The blue line is six millimeters end to end. Uh, the yellow line is eight. It's 126% improvement. My minimum went from 1.9 when I was at six to 4.3, which is far above average of 3.2 for a male. Right. And then if we compare this to the collapse, so if we didn't have anything, if you choose to sleep with nothing in your mouth and you have events where you're choking or suffocating, which is the layman's terms for mm -hmm. apnea and hypopnea, collapse versus an oral appliance made at eight millimeters of vertical end to end is 152.9% improvement. Wow. An overall volume improvement of 129%. And wow is my favorite word. The, the spike that we see over here was the increase in verticals. So mm -hmm. as, you know, the roof of the mouth got higher. Uh, now we have to be cognizant of lip patency. So if we right. make a device that has a lot of anterior vertical, but we start them mouth breathing, uh, now we've got another issue that we need to resolve. So there's thinner materials now. Uh, we also have to be aware that there's no active undiagnosed TM problems because that will make sleep very erratic. Mm -hmm. um, so always deal triage pain first. Um, decompressing jaws doesn't take very long to do. Uh, and for those patients, you know, you don't want to activate uh, muscles that are going to be angry because the muscles will always win. Uh, but in a patient that's asymptomatic and doesn't have an issue, uh, sometimes a little bit more vertical makes all the difference. Now, sometimes it doesn't, but isn't that valuable information that you want to know yeah. before you take an impression, before you take a dollar from that patient? Um, if you want to save yourself time and frustration, uh, start down the track of these are custom-made oral appliances that are just for you early in that conversation. And then like, if you're guessing at this, which is what we call the GG, the George Gage or guessing gauge, uh, 
uh, you're going to have good results half the time, but you're never going to know when it's going to happen. And then you're going to see them in a month and you're going to jack their jaw forward. And then you're going to see them in a month and ask them if they're still snoring. And some of these patients, if they're mild, they really don't have subjective complaints mm -hmm. uh, that might dramatically improve. I was just listening to a sleep physician last week, give a talk. And he says, you know, if they're mild, I wouldn't even retest them unless right. they've gained weight. Uh, because it's not going to show you anything, mm -hmm. but on a moderate, you know, as we get into an AHI that's over 15, um, now we need to do whatever we're going to do and retest it. And he was advocating oral appliance for no matter what severity of disease there was mild, moderate, severe in this day and age, it's so difficult to get a CPAP machine. Mm. And it's so, so prolonged to get into a PSG an in-lab sleep study yeah. that he, he's advocating. I think, you know, anytime a dentist has identified this, they should go forward with an oral appliance retest if they're moderate or severe. And if it's being managed, you're done. Yep. And if they're not, then, you know, you at least got something in the interim between when the problem was discovered and when it's maybe going to end up properly being managed down the road with what they need. Yeah. Um, I was always the opposite. It was like, well, I want all my patients to go try, fail and hate CPAP and then end up in my practice because it'll make me more friendly with the physicians. You know, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll know I'm not trying to take all the business. Right. I'm not trying to do herodontics. Mm -hmm. Um and so I think it gives credibility. Now, the reporting that comes out of these reports is phenomenal as well. And we just, you know, export it and put it into our dental records. Mm -hmm. And when we send these letters, that's how we talk to physicians. And we have graphs and quantified data. It's not just a subjective improvement. Now it's objective. And then, you know, then you're laying, you're doing it in their SOAP format. You know, this was the assessment. This was the plan. And, and this was the progress that we made. And now I'm kicking the patient back to you because, and honestly, dent dentists don't manage OSA. That's the physician's job. Mm -hmm. But we have a dental solution sometimes for a medical problem. And medical insurance does pay for this. They do pay for the testing. Now, all policies you know, pay differently, just like dental insurance. Just because we have a code doesn't mean you're going to get reimbursed. Mm -hmm. But do it smart and you know, collect from the patient and bill the insurance. And if the insurance pays, they've got a credit or a refund. Um, but don't do it for free. Yeah, that, that was another mistake I made. I was taught by yeah. people that just said, you charge for the device, everything else is included. That's, yep. that's wrong. Like you charge for your time, you charge for your knowledge, your exam, yep. Yep. Uh, your testing. Uh, once you've got a diagnosis, you've got some billable stuff going on there. And so that's what we teach offices to do all across. To, uh, no, Dr. America. Harrison, if, if there's somebody listening, a hygienist, a doctor, whoever, somebody out there that wants to learn more, um, about EchoVision, wants to get in touch with you, how can they do so? Well, uh, I'm going to give you my cell phone and my email. So okay, text, we'll message works, text message works great for me. Uh, email is very good too. Uh, if you want to just see where there's courses being offered, you can go to sleepgs.com. So sleepgroupsolutions.com will also get you there. It's just a lot more things to type, but sleepgs.com and then click on seminars. We've got... Um, an online seminar for those that don't want to get together in live meetings, or if there's not one in your area anytime soon. And we've just revamped our, our live two-day seminar. So it's a 16-hour CE course that we take offices through. You know, how do you get started? And it really starts before you even get to class. You know, we just mm -hmm. recorded Sleep 101. It was myself and our director of education, Rebecca Leahy, who's just a hoot uh, to get to speak with. Uh, and it's about three hours that, of pre-course material that these offices need to go through in advance of coming to the live seminar. 
this sets them up for walking in, being prepared to think about you know, their practice, their patients. Uh, we give them a downloadable PDF form of, you know, who are the patients that are already sitting in your practice? Because they're there. Right. And then we, can, then we can walk through the numbers and we can come up with the action plan and, and think about what's this going to look like in my practice? What do I want to do my first year? What do I want to do my, by my fifth year? Mm-hmm. You know, do I want to be a multi-million dollar uh, top tier dental sleep medicine practice? Do I want to exit my dental career and become you know, uh, a sleep dentist? Do I want to prolong the years? Do, maybe I'm just you know, fed up with drilling and filling teeth or making you know, beautiful smiles. Uh, let's offer more to our patients and, and really deliver them the care that they need and deserve and, and give them our best. Absolutely. Cause at the end of the day, that's, that's all that matters. And I I'm excited. It, it, this, do they, do you, I'm sorry, have a, some kind, like if there's any patients that are listening in on this episode, is there any kind of directory to see if there's any providers in their area that have this technology in their office? Uh, I just saw the calendar counting down here. So. I know um, we're going to be wrapping up in a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah, the, the easiest way to find a provider in your area is talk to the representative uh, from okay. Sleep Group Solutions in your area. So they uh, can still contact Sleep Group. They, they can call Sleep Group Solutions. Our client care department can tell them if there's someone in the area or not. Uh, but really just reaching out to the account representative and establishing that relationship will put okay. you in the loop. Like we send out so much stuff of value uh, mm-hmm. to people, articles that we come across. We really just want to educate. You know, we mm-hmm. since we started as an education company, we educate first um, and then we implement after. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Harrison, for coming on and chatting with us and showing us the Equivision system. Truly phenomenal. Um, and yeah, thanks again for coming on. We'll have to have you on again. Um, maybe once you have your repeat, where are you going to have your repeat sleep study to see how things have been since you've gone Mm -hmm. through your journey? Maybe we can have you back on to talk about that. Um, that would be really cool. Uh, so yeah, enjoy your day and thanks again for your time. We appreciate you. My pleasure. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of I Spy with My Maya Y. If you want to hear more about these episodes, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or feel free to contact me at bsierra.omt at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe as well and let us know of any subject or guest speaker you'd like to hear from. Help spread the word by sharing today's episode on your social media page. You can find me on Facebook at CT Oral Facial Myology and Instagram handle CT underscore oral facial underscore myology. Everybody have a wonderful day.